This week, Resurrection of the Daleks, written by Eric Sayward, directed by Matthew Robinson. Just this once, Rose, everybody dies. <laughs> listening to Oi Spaceman and Doctor Who Love Story. We're a polyamorous husband and wife taking a critical and often socio-political look at all eras of Doctor Who. This podcast often contains spoilers, naughty language, and general disregard for most things Stephen Moffat and other adult content. And Tegan just says, fuck it, I hate you, I'm not moving. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I'm done. So welcome. Episode 80 of uh, Always Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story. Uh, today we are going to be doing Resurrection of the Daleks. I'm Daniel, joined as always by my lovely wife, Shayna. Yo, what up? And uh, today we do have a, uh, a special guest we haven't had on for a little while. Um, we are joined by my uh, my friend Lee from the uh, They Must Be Destroyed on Site podcast. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me back for a second shot at ruining the podcast for you. Woo! <laughs> we, we love it when people come on and try to ruin the podcast. It's it's always a fun time. <laughs> Ruin us. <laughs> it's actually more of a Google gobble situation, so <laughs> So Lee, um this is uh this is your first uh, exposure to the Fifth Doctor, is that right? Yeah, uh I think I mentioned back in in my first appearance on the podcast here that uh the stuff that they used to show when I was a kid on PBS and uh, other channels once in a while was almost exclusively uh, third and fourth doctor stuff, right? And for some reason, it, uh, Davison was pretty much skipped, and then they show they showed a little bit of uh, Colin Baker. Uh, I, I saw like a handful of his episodes before it sort of disappeared from TV for quite a while. But uh, yeah, Davison is pretty much new to me. I've, I've never seen a full episode until now, and uh, so it was kind of interesting to jump in and see what he's all about. So yeah, this is this is not exactly the uh, the the premiere Davison episode that you know you would normally expose to somebody uh, this doctor for the first time. But uh, what did you think of Davison? To to be honest, yeah, uh, I actually had to go on the TARDIS wiki and look at the episode before this one just to get some context of what was going on in the first place. <laughs> but, sure, but uh, yeah, Davison, I didn't. I found this episode was probably a terrible introduction to to him as a doctor because. I didn't really get much of a read off him for most of his screen time. No, nope. uh, I, I I just found him kind of bland, and yeah. there was maybe only a couple interesting moments uh, later on near the end of this uh, end of the uh, show. But uh, other than that, he was mostly in the background, and I didn't really get much from him. So yeah, I think one thing that we're gonna one thing that I'm gonna come back to pretty often is just that uh, this is a really overstuffed plot episode, and pretty much. Everybody gets sidelines to some degree, um, but yeah, no, I, um, I think, actually want. Go ahead, Shannon. Uh, I think though that like it's not an unfair point to make that this doctor is, and even having watched his some of his other episodes, he is a very internalized doctor. He is not a very external performer. You kind of get what's going on with this doctor through, like, his decision-making process and um, when he, like, has problems making decisions. Like, uh, so yeah, Lee, I don't think that you would be the only one who would say that, even if you have seen more episodes of him. 
Yeah, and and another thing I think um, Davison is his doctor is uh, very overtly different from the previous four as far as just he's not he's not that uh, explosive out there or that stern action hero doctor or anything like that. He's he's very very much internalized. So there, there's a there's a pretty profound contrast between him and the previous four, and so I think in a in a in a little ways it's kind of uh, kind of a unfair to uh kind of unfair to uh compare him to the previous fours in certain ways because they sort of overshadow them him with their bigger personalities mm-hmm. absolutely i would definitely agree i think um and if you watched the 50th anniversary specials davison even says this that he doesn't feel like he was quite ready for the role that he was younger he would have liked to play it as an older um yeah. person and i think uh, we we see that in the performance and that he is trying to somehow internalize the fact that he is a however old he is at this point mm-hmm. time lord um, but that ends up taking place and like this is how I'm learning to appreciate this doctor which is why I'm saying it this way his small moments where you see like the close up on his face and like that internal struggle like we're supposed to get a lot out of those. And I don't know that we do because the dialogue isn't always there for it. um, And the plot kind of gets in the way of it. But I do kind of feel like this doctor is better if you pay attention to when he doesn't talk than when he Mm -hmm. does almost. He's an introvert. He may be the most introverted doctor. Yeah. I I think I agree with that. Certainly, certainly the most internalized. Um, He's, uh, you know, Davison as a as a doctor, the the fifth doctor will often, uh, instead of kind of walking in the room and immediately owning it, you know, his his strategy is often to kind of walk in, assess the situation, and then kind of uh, solve problems by uh, kind of subtly influencing events or by by kind of determining what's happening and then you know kind of acting later as opposed to kind of coming in and like taking charge. And um, I think you know you you said it earlier, Lee. Um, you know, that Davison seems, uh, I don't know, did you use the word passive or, or just kind of bland? Bland is, is what I yeah. do, yeah. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a really common thing that people say about the Fifth Doctor, and uh, it's something that I've even said before on this podcast, but I do find that a lot of these episodes work better on a second or third viewing. Right. Uh, maybe not this one. I, I don't know that I'd recommend watching this one again. Well, I actually but, watched um, it twice and enjoyed it the second time a lot more. Okay, okay. awesome. Well, um, let's start digging into Resurrection of the Daleks, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, Shayna, let's go to you. What did you think of Resurrection of the Daleks? And I'm starting to feel this way about um, a lot of Davison's episodes in general, um, especially this whole uh, Turlough and, I I guess, really the Tegan era gets to be a lot of this kind of situation where they land in the middle of a big political something going on. They're not quite sure. The doctor tries to go off and just subtly learn about it, and Tegan marches off into figuring out what the hell is going on, and Turlow, I don't know, is Turlow. Uh, (laughs) And um, it felt very familiar that way. And so I really... I stopped paying attention to most of the plot. I was like, oh, it's a Dalek episode. They're running around. They're trying to keep things safe. Um, I was much more focused on, like, Tegan's relationship with um, the girl. Professor Laird. Yeah, and 
just kind of the I like that we get to have these um real character moments um especially because we uh you know spoilers uh lose Tegan at the end of the episode. Yeah, no, uh this one is uh, written by Eric Sayward. Sayward is the uh script editor for uh this era of Doctor Who. Um he's been script editor for a couple of years and he sticks around for most of the uh Six Doctor era. Um he writes a few stories and he is well known. He actually wrote Earthshock. Um mm. he is well known for his uh he really liked his space marines um uh mm. shooting things. And um actually the reason that I, I kind of recommended this one for you to come back, Lee, not not uh you know, was just because it's a very um you know, it feels kind of like a unit story that isn't a unit story. Yeah. And so I was wondering how you would respond to that. So uh, what did you think in general about Resurrection of the Daleks? Okay, so as I mentioned, I watched it twice because first time I watched through it, it was very confusing for me, uh, the first few bits. Especially because um, I missed uh, Turlow walking through the time corridor and getting on the Dalek ship. I, I Apparently I missed that part. So all of a sudden he was on the Dalek ship and I was, uh, what the hell's going on? Uh, <laughs> how did that happen? Um but yeah, they're, they're, I think the biggest problem with this, and it's funny because I'm like you, Daniel, where I actually prefer the Doctor being in the background and just walking in on an ongoing story as a more of an anthology kind of series than anything else. Mm-hmm. But here, it's to the story, it's to the episode's uh, detriment because there's just too much going on, and too much of it is pushing the Doctor and his companions into the background a little too much, so... uh there's a lot of jumbled stuff going on before the story actually settles and starts to make sense, and the Doctor and, and his companions take over a bit. But until then, you're giving all these different characters, and some of these characters are actually spending enough time on where you're getting invested in them, and, oh, they're dead. <laughs> everyone dies in this friggin' episode, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, er- everyone dies but Lytton. Yeah. Uh, Lytton and uh, the, the named uh, protagonist. Everybody else with a name dies in this story. And, um, and, even Laird. Laird is literally shot in the back as she's running away. I yeah, know. And ev- it's and tragic. Everyone, and everyone dies screaming in this, too. Everyone is, like, shot and they're like, ah! <laughs> I mean, Daleks don't kill easy, apparently. It is a quick but painful death. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm very happy they made that uh, so obviously clear for us. <laughs> but I, I I had seen Lytton before, so that was that was interesting because uh, when I was watching this, I was wondering if you know if it's just a recurring actor they used for different roles here and there. But no, it's actually the same character, and I I see I actually did see him in a Baker episode back in the day. Yeah, he he comes back in Attack of the Cybermen, um, mm-hmm. which was uh, also directed by Matthew Robinson, um, and uh, actually. Also written by Eric Sayward, I believe. So uh, that's uh, that's sort of uh, Lytton comes back, and uh, it's basically kind of the continuing adventures of Lytton is the uh, is the story of Attack of the Cybermen. Um, although it's also kind of a mess in some other ways. Uh, we don't have that one on the schedule to discuss, but uh, we'll get to it eventually. Um, but yeah, Lytton does come back, and it's, it's interesting that like I don't know, maybe we should just start digging into some characters here. Davro is probably the most or uh, the most kind of obvious one to talk about. Um, this is Terry Malloy's uh, first appearance as Davros. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to come back as Davros a couple more times. Um, Lee, have you seen Genesis of the Daleks? I don't remember if I have or not. I think okay. is that is that the one where where Davros was, that's that's a fourth Doctor story, isn't it? Yeah, that's the fourth Doctor. Oh, yeah. That's the uh, that's you the know to hold in my hand the yes uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the that was the uh, introduction of Davros. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion that Davros should have just never come back after that. Well, uh, but they do keep coming him back, bringing him back every time they bring the Daleks back. Um, 
Well, this is sort of the same story as is Genesis of the Daleks in that regard, because Davros basically does the same back and forth as the Doctor that he did in that. Yeah, they they basically keep bringing back Davros just to uh, to to chinwag at the Doctor a little bit and uh, to be just a personification of evil and discreet a lot. I, I I found whenever whenever Malloy gets really loud and screechy in his uh, Davros st- speak, um, I actually have a I I have no idea what he was saying at certain points yeah. during his screeching. Yeah. Um, uh, the makeup doesn't help either. It, it's a uh, it, it's it's ill suited for him. Um, as as good as it was in in Genesis, it's it's definitely uh, you can tell the production doesn't quite know what to do with this makeup at this point. I want to say though, I actually liked this um, kind of more complicated Davros. I, I I again I don't necessarily think that they should have brought Davros back. I think I got really confused for a minute because I. Every episode you see Davros in, he kind of has some kind of different amount of power over the Daleks. And I mean, I include contemporary era Davros now in that, so... Um, we just rewatched the Magician's Apprentice two-parter as part of our Series 9 kind of recap, so uh, that's that's kind of in the forefront of our minds right now as well, I think. Yeah, so I just see all these different representations of, of Davros. I kind of like the idea of this scientist who is in control and like this episode being focused somewhat on Davros losing his position a little bit and I mean at least that's what I got from it again the plot is kind of all over the place but Davros feels much more human I guess like we see more personality traits and why maybe he wanted um, but that kind of, you know, mad scientist element at, amped up within Davros, I like, if he's going to be around. But I just don't think he needs to be around for it. I think that there could be other characters doing the same things um, that we could introduce. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, honestly, I didn't have too much of a problem with Davros in this, other than, of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Daniel, the, the screaming gets to be a bit much. I mean, I get it, you're Space Hitler. It's all right. <laughs> You don't have to go into a rant after every two words. Like, he'll start off really silently. Oh, Doctor, you're back. I will destroy you! I was like, okay, get get over it. Um, But he's not even really needed for the plot of this, honestly. I mean, because we have the Daleks here who are making... Who apparently are such great geneticists. They're making perfect human clones. And yet they can't cure this disease that the uh, Melvellians or whatever the hell they're called that they were the, at war the with. Melvellians. I had I had forgotten that because this follows uh, plot wise, it kind of follows directly off of the last Davros appearance, which is in Destiny of the Daleks, which uh, we didn't uh, cover on the show yet. Um, and I had forgotten that element of it, or I would have I might have just skipped this one entirely. So sorry about that, guys. But um, mm. you don't really need to know a lot about that story, except for you know the Melvellians uh, are basically as uh, Space uh, Rasta. Rasta, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and they um, they end up uh, with a, a virus that's uh, killing the Daleks. So, you know, that's all you really need to know. Yeah, the Rasta androids or whatever. Yes, yeah. Rasta androids. Why didn't you let me watch Rasta androids? <laughs> we'll, we'll cover that one eventually. It's not as good as it sounds. <laughs> it's really not. It's actually it's pretty bad. It's going to be better now because I'm going to watch it and be thinking of Rasta androids. <laughs> so it'll be awesome 
Um, but yeah, so uh, Davros Davros comes back. I mean, this kind of comes back to this uh, overstuffed plot thing where we've got Davros and the Daleks, and they're kind of working at cross purposes. We've got this time tunnel thing, which is uh, landing as connecting 20th century Earth with this you know 59th or 60th century space station thing. We've got the um, you know the space marine element. We've got the the kind of scientific research. We've got the uh, the kind of unit stuff, we've got the cops, we've got, uh, you know, they're, they're just, it feels like there's a lot here, and when there's so much to do, it feels like it's, uh, for me, I just get lost in the details, and I don't even, I like, I, I, I don't remember much of the plot, just because I've watched it, I, you know, I get something out of it, because the screen is moving, but, um, it, this, this is a, it, it feels like I wish they had focused on either the kind of Davros and Daleks element, or the, uh, you know, excise Davros entirely and do the time tunnel and the the human duplicates and that sort of thing. Um, it just feels like you know <laughs> yeah. everything but the kitchen sink is in this. Mm. The human human du- duplicate plot is more interesting. Like the only the uh, what the uh, Emperor Dalek uh, Dalek or Controller Dalek or whatever the hell Supreme Dalek I guess in this yeah in this. The, the Dalek Supreme yeah. <laughs> he's a Dalek with sour cream. <laughs> yeah, but he uh, he has that little brief conversation with the doctor on on the on the uh, communication screens or whatever, saying we already have agents planted in key positions in Earth, and our plans will go forward and we'll take over the Earth regardless of what happens. Uh, that's a much more interesting plot than this. Uh, uh, everyone racing for the self destruct of the ship nonsense that's going on. All these different groups mm-hmm. fighting each other. Right. Well, and and that's a I mean that that's straight out of Terror of the Autons. I mean, it, it feels like you know, uh, Sayward was trying to kind of do a, a like a an '80s version of Terror of the Autons, mm. but then like crammed in this whole other plot at the same time. I mean, I just I I don't you know is is he trying to reference it? Is it trying to be like clever? Is it? I don't. I just I just I don't know why there's so much in this story. Well, like I mean. Because it's kind of shallow. I mean, let's call it for what it is. It's, they wanted a Dalek episode. They didn't really know what to do with the story. I agree that there are lots of interesting kind of, if you had focused on one part of this, it would be a lot better. But it's also more difficult. (laughs) So instead of writing the more difficult story where you have to puzzle out philosophical questions, they say, hey, no, let's put it with this. And we'll combine the two, and then we don't have to work that much more on the plot. So, I mean, like, in my mind, it always comes back to a little bit of lazy writing and a little bit of just probably the fact that they were on the schedule that, that they were on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that, Lee? Yeah, it is, it is kind of lazy. And, and again, it's weird because there's so much here. There's actually, like, some really good stuff here that's just mm-hmm. kind of swept to the side because they have to eliminate so many people in this because there's just so much plot and so much stuff going on. Like you get the interesting, uh, you get the interesting, uh, medical, uh, chief medical officer or whatever from the, uh, space station or whatever it is they're on. Um, mm-hmm. and, and she has a little bit of a story going on where she immediately, you know, she's taking charge. She immediately knows what to do. It's like, okay, Do- Daleks are here. We've got a prisoner. Can't kill the prisoner. Uh, directly, so we have to go to the we have to go to the self destruct, and that's an interesting story in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, honestly, that story without the doctor ever showing up is actually kind of more interesting, and it's you know their struggle to fight their way through the space station and and and, and blow it up is, is yeah kind of cool, but it's it's it feels like it's just kind of forgotten, 
uh, because then it starts getting into this double agent stuff, which is also interesting, but it makes everything else take a back seat to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just where, the again, the too much plot comes in and it starts messing everything up. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I feel like the way to do this, if you've got this much stuff, is to almost use an episode, like episode one, be all about like Lytton and the and the and the doctor kind of showing up, and you know, then episode two be kind of about the the medical officer, you know, not being able to, not wanting to revive Davros or not being able to kill Davros, etc. And then mm-hmm. you know, kind of as opposed to you know, it's all kind of interweaved, and so it's it's just I don't know. I keep coming back to this. It's just hard to follow this plot just because there's just so much in it um yeah which you know it, it seems like i don't know do we think that this is an error i mean shana you said this is lazy but I, I i almost wonder is this an error of just being too ambitious like is this a thought of like oh we can do this kind of clever interweaving of stories and then uh it'll be more interesting i mean well i mean i'm sure moffat would say that <laughs> um, it reminds me of his writing an awful lot uh, it does, doesn't it? But, I mean, ultimately, what we're saying is there's too much plot. That's not a bad thing to have too much plot, but it is a bad thing to put it all in one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, an editor, like, there are a lot of, I have a lot of questions as to why is there too much? Is it because they couldn't figure out how to finish just one story, so they pushed in the second half, or... Should it have been a two-parter ser- uh, episode, and they just weren't allowed that? Um, well, actually, this aired. Um, th- this was written and, and kind of shot and produced as a four-parter, but uh, the Olympics happened right around this time, and so they actually crammed this into two 45-minute slots. So there, this is actually Lee. This is something that we uh, come come across on. They must be destroyed on set a lot. There, there actually. This is one of the few uh, Doctor Who stories where there are a couple of different cuts of this. Oh. Um, you know, so th- so there is a version of this which is two forty-five minute episodes. Um, I don't. I I kind of looked around. I couldn't find. I don't think that there's like a significant difference. Honestly, I think that basically they just trimmed the uh, the cliffhangers off of the. Uh, yeah. You know, of, of the the uh, parts one and three, and then crammed them together into um, two forty-five minute episodes. So, um, so I don't think they there's didn't some add anything or change anything that would have given some of that clarity we are asking for. Yeah, to my knowledge, they didn't do anything like that. They literally just trimmed it, trimmed the edges off, and then crammed it into two forty-five minute episodes. Mm. But yeah, no. Uh, so so that that was just kind of one of those interesting things um, where they did air this. Uh, it, it does have a slightly different airing history than the version we watched, which was uh, the four part version. Let's talk about Tegan a little bit because she does leave in this story. Um, Lee, was this your first exposure to Tegan? Yeah, I I, did, I had not uh, I had not seen an episode with her before, so this was yeah. So so what what are your thoughts on Tegan? I thought she was pretty good. She looked good in that uh, little uh, leather miniskirt job she had going on. Uh, very, very. She, Shana described her as a punk rock office wear. Yeah, I, know, she's... No. I remembered what it was. It's office appropriate punk. Oh. Uh, yeah, she's very, uh, she's very new wave-ish almost uh-huh. with, with her shirt and everything and her and her short hair. Um, very, very good actress. I think I think she does a pretty good job. Like again, I didn't. I got more from her than I got from the doctor in this oh, episode. Absolutely. So. Uh, and I, I appreciated that she's very take charge, and also that uh, all the violence and death around her is obviously disturbing her a great deal, to the point where she finally gets fed up, and is like, I'm done, Doctor, I have to go. I mean, I, I'd love to 
keep going with you, but this isn't fun anymore. We, we just stepped into a literal war zone where we're the only ones standing after it's all over. So, you know, uh, I, th- I think it kind of, it kind of, she sells it that it really disturbed her that even the doctor was, uh, considering shooting Davros point blank, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. Um, one of the things with Tegan, um, in in this story, one of my favorite elements is her relationship with Professor Laird, um, played by Chloe Ashcroft. And uh, actually, this was one of the few Doctor Who stories that wasn't novelized, um, but there was a fan novelization uh, sometime in the 80s. And in the fan novelization, she is actually the scientific advisor of the unit, hmm. um, which is uh, just kind of one of those like, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I'm surprised that isn't canon. Um, so I kind of call that pseudo canon. But one of my favorite things is the relationship between these two. Um, Shana, why don't you talk to that a little bit? I, I honestly think Tegan is one of the most dynamic companions in Classic Who, having seen kind of beginning to end of her course with a lot missing. But Tegan is one of the few companions that I think we ever see really hold the Doctor accountable for all of his actions. And because of that, when he does leave someplace in a shambles, um, and I kind of have talked about this in uh, Contemporary Who as, you know, there being patron saints of those the Doctor leaves behind and um, Clara and me and a shielder and all those characters. But Tegan, I think, is someone I can relate to a lot more. She just wanted to get back to work. She wanted to get back to her job. She liked the adventure. She didn't quite get the doctor, but that was okay. But her relationships with the other companions, with Adric, with Nyssa, um, with all of the people that they end up meeting, she is much more, I think, involved in kind of just the personal dynamics. So when you kind of see her break down in this episode, it was the only part of it that I really felt and again, it almost has nothing to do with this particular episode as much as um, Tegan and uh, is it Janet Fielding? Janet Fielding, yep. Her performance of it, where you just see her say, I can't do this anymore. And for me, as opposed to how some of the other companions, that's been their reason for leaving. And it feels like a losing battle. Like they're just like, dude, doctor, I respect you. You can do this way more than I can. Tegan feels very judgmental here. And well, the doctor, the doctor is doing something that he almost never does, which is like actively like pick up a gun and, and want to kill somebody. Right. Um, and she instead is on this ground level with this other character. Um, layered. Layered. And they get to have some, you know, a few moments of conversation that I felt like were much more meaningful and much more about the stuff that I like, you know, the world building, getting to know these other characters, getting to kind of see things from their perspective. And getting to see a a real response to the weight of the issues that they're kind of always carrying with them as they travel. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. Tegan is this episode for me. Every part with her was what I was paying attention to. Um, I think her her exit was really great, honestly, for her as a character. But the rest of this episode um, was kind of a mess. Um Mm-hmm. The the real reason I wanted you to watch this one, um, and the reason that we're doing it on the podcast was for Tegan. I mean that that's the only that's the only thing I really care about. In Resurrection of the Daleks and is you know. I think you originally Tegan. asked me to ask about her like her and Laird. Yeah. Her and Laird. 
Tegan, and I think that there, she is interesting and in that she is very clearly emotionally attached to Nyssa before Nyssa leaves. She is very clearly emotionally attached to Adric when Adric dies. Um, I don't want to say, like, it's romantic or anything. We get to see Tegan form quick but meaningful relationships a lot. And the fact that two or three of the strongest ones are with women... Yeah, And that those are the moments where we get to see intimate sides of Tegan, softer sides of Tegan, her finding comfort in others because she can't find comfort in the doctor. But yeah, I very much by the end, especially read her as as a queer character. Yeah, I think you were like overtly shipping Laird and uh, Tegan at some <laughs> point while we were watching this. There was one point where like they're both sitting on cots or something and it really looks like they just fucked like it's the end of the world as we know it let's go have some sex and then try and save things otherwise fuck it all i'm giving up lee you want to respond to any of that no i i didn't i i did uh i did like the the way she she definitely is like connecting with the other characters in it and it it feels kind of it feels kind of sad that uh Mm -hmm that stuff kind of gets pushed away too and everyone just starts dropping dead. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like, oh man, it, it, this, this, episode, this, uh, this serial or whatever, this episode's really, uh, really brutal. Like it's just like relentlessly brutal. It's just killing people off and killing people off. And I guess that's probably what makes uh, Tegan's uh, moments uh, stand out though, is because those are like the few and far between like really, uh, well-written sort of human moments in the whole thing. The rest of it's just people being shot by non-existent laser beams from guns that don't make sounds. And <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'll say one of my one of my favorite kind of dark moments in this story is the uh, moment where Tegan gets away. She's she's running away. She's in the eighties uh, London. She's going down those uh, uh, stairs yeah. to the dock, and then the 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 faux police officer uh, shoots this random guy with the metal detector. Know. Yeah. With the metal detector, and then uh, the next scene, Tegan's just—I mean, like they just recaptured her by demonstrating how uh, cold and heartless they are, which I think is—I don't know—it's shot really well. I mean, it felt like a moment out of like a kind of a, a cheapy '80s uh, sci-fi exploitation flick, uh, but in a good way. Um, I, I thought some of the some of the direction here, um, even like the opening shot, I thought was uh, really. Uh, kind of nicely atmospheric. Um, I really wish we didn't have all this space station stuff and we had just done the Earthbound yeah, stuff almost. because mm-hmm. that, that stuff reminded me of, um, honestly, the, the brutality and the coldness and uh, everything reminded me of the TV series, uh, the adaptation of War of the Worlds that ran in like the late 80s, early 90s. I don't know if any of you have ever watched it, but... <laughs> I saw it when it was I saw it when it was airing in the, in the 90s, so... Um... When I was like twelve or thirteen or whatever, so uh, but I don't remember it that well. But, but that that was uh, very brutal for its time, like very very dark dark series with just uh, characters dying all the time, and it, this immediately took me back to that kind of your your hardcore metal everyone dies upbringing. <laughs> no, I didn't have that. I didn't have that upbringing, but uh, but uh, yeah, but. I did. I did used to watch that show, and then I remember as a kid, I was like, "Wow, they're getting away with this kind of level of violence on TV." And yeah, yeah, I remember that the the War of the Worlds show used to air really late at night mm-hmm. when I was like like ten or eleven o'clock at night or something. So it might have been like a, a rerun, or I, I'm not sure, but I remember it. I remember it aired really late, um, like on USA or something. So um, 
digging into uh let's talk about Litten a little bit. Um if if that's okay with everybody, mm-hmm. just kinda of going through characters. Um Lee, you have any thoughts about Litten? I know you have actually seen Attack of the Cybermen, so um you've kind of seen both of his stories now. Uh what do you think of him as a character? He's an interesting character. He's uh he's strictly professional. He's very, very cold, of course. Uh kinda kinda reminds he he's got a bit of a he's got a bit of a a, a Nazi vibe to him, but not necessarily a Nazi who's a racist or anything like that. He's just very much like a soldier. I mean, he'll he'll kill his. Well, he's kind of mercenary, yeah, he right? Merc- like he's yeah. just he's just kind of you know, this is my job. I'm gonna go and kill if I have to, and I'm not gonna think too hard about it. Um, sorry, not just just filling in there. Yeah, but, but he's he's very uh, he's very much a realist too. I mean, um, he's definitely he's definitely amoral, but he's he's very much a realist, and he he gets to the point where he realizes we got to back the hell out of here and get away before the, the Daleks turn on turn on me because eventually they're gonna do it. So. Um, I enjoyed the performance, and I liked—I I actually liked that he came back. It was kind of interesting, just just to see like a sort of a side character like that sort of come back and and, and continue his story. Um, yeah, I don't have too much. There's not too much, I think, to deeply dig in with him in this episode, other than other than that uh, he, he has some self awareness and he he realizes that he has to get out at the end. Uh, usually characters like this like these sort of uh enforcer kind of thug characters to a certain degree you see in these uh classic who who episodes they usually die in the end um but uh hey one gets away for once you know so (laughs) which is interesting uh shannon any thoughts about that character you know i think you summed it up best when you said this is kind of a unit episode that isn't a unit episode i also have to add i whenever there is a recurring character i kind of appreciate it Especially when it's this kind of recurring character where you would probably be dealing with at least some similar military and he does kind of stand in as that metaphor for a certain kind of thinking um, in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, Attack of the Cyberman basically follows on with like him and the two, uh, you know, faux cops, you know, and and they they all kind of come back and attack the Cyberman. Yeah, and, uh, it's I, I like so. I don't feel like positive or negative about them necessarily as much as I feel like, yes, it's kind of nice to feel like we are establishing a universe that we are still living in instead of each episode of Doctor Who gets its own rules. Yeah, I, will, I will add, um, I am surprised that they didn't write it so that uh, Lytton was the one that ended up killing Davros or, you know, uh, blowing up the station or something along those lines to a certain degree, because it feels like he's almost like he's, he's, a, he's presented as a smart character. So he's he's almost presented as sort of a uh, other side of the coin to the doctor to a certain degree, where he's he is smart, but he's the he's the smart guy who's also willing to pull the trigger, unlike the doctor. So um, yeah, I mean, well, let's dig into that because that kind of is the kind of central. I mean, to my mind, that's kind of the central like moral dilemma that the the doctor faces, or that the the story is at least trying to explore. Although I I don't think it does it very effectively. Is this question of uh. Should the doctor kill Davros? Um, how do how do we feel about the way that this story treats that? I guess um, I will say I at first felt like really disappointed, just because I was like, "Oh, didn't we already do this? And haven't we done this again? And wow, Davros just keeps to keeps doing the same damn thing," which was a little annoying to <laughs> me. <laughs> However, again, like. I like building that philosophical situation where you have the doctor and what he represents. And then we have a more um, 
I was going to say militant, uh, but military based uh, figure who um, is quicker to shoot, quicker to kill, quicker to, you know, say like, mm-hmm. yes, let's get rid of the enemy. And that is kind of most of the doctor unit stories. And most of the time that the doctor runs into a shoot and ask questions later kind of person, that's what we see him do is be that voice of reason somewhere in between this episode though retreaded so much ground uh that that was part of why i was so confused by it i was like wait davros wait what what exactly is going on with davros okay didn't davros ask that exact same question before didn't we so there was a little bit of like just deja vu and being kind of confused of like hmm why are we doing this again when in reality i mean what a decade's passed <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, ten years after uh, Genesis of the Daleks, and it's been um, I guess uh, like seven, six or seven since uh, we've seen Davros at all. Yeah, so I under like I think that there is some lack of impact just having watched it in twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, just because we don't get this. Oh my God, it's Davros again! Kind kind of the reaction to me before I saw the full episode with uh, Davros in series 9 um, with Capaldi. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Lee, Lee, why don't you pick up where my rambling left off? Uh, I don't know if I can uh, uh, do any better with the rambling, but um, yeah, it, it just it just feels it feels done already. It feels inferior to the uh, Genesis of the Darla, uh, Daleks uh, one. That, that confrontation was uh, much better. And uh, I think it just kind of rehashes the same questions over again, and it doesn't really provide any real answers. Uh, I think the only thing I kind of draw from this that I did like was Davison's performance here, where you finally see some uh, emotional emotion sort of uh, bu- bubbling out from uh, underneath the surface, where you see it in his eyes, and he's quivering a little bit um, when you do the close-up on him. I thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like that. But uh, it, it felt like a little, little too late, like too little too late, and also felt like I had seen this before and I'd seen it done better. And I was like, let's get on with the rest of the story already because this really doesn't offer anything new for me. And uh, yeah, I, I just was like, okay, let's get on with it. Let's, let's do something. Uh, I get it. The doctor's conflicted, and I, I think they, I think they better explored this later on uh, i think especially in the new series from from a couple of episodes i saw in the new series before i sort of stopped watching mm. doctor who for the most part but uh, yeah what are you thinking about in um new who specifically just out of curiosity i think generally this just the uh the idea that like uh the christopher eccleson doctor Mm-hmm. was was you know there was definitely a, a darkness there underneath there there was the um, sort of implied and then later revealed backstory that he was in the time war and that he did all these things that you know you wouldn't expect the doctor to do right. and i think i think these later classic doctors they were sort of, sort of slowly even though it wasn't necessarily planned they were sort of slowly getting darker and more manipulative manipulative and uh it finally sort of came to fruition with the with the new series, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and I think you're talking about the episode Dalek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I think if if you want an iota of what this episode was going for, you watch that speech that Eccleston has at the end, where he's trying to decide 
whether or not he's going to kill what he believes to be the last Dalek in existence. And you have Rose standing in the middle of them. And he, and she becomes like this moderator of his own emotions, um, which is why I like Rose and I understand a love story and blah, 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 but you know, whatever. But I think that moment where, um, yeah, but I feel that when we, we get to Eccleston and, I think Eccleston is the best tied, of course, with Tom Baker's do I, you know, do I have the right speech? Mm-hmm. Between those two, I, I, I understand why Peter Davison era wanted to make their version. They just didn't do very well. Um, unfortunately, it got, fu- instead of having actual digging into that history, the complications, the emotions, the interpersonal stuff, it fills it with a lot of stuff that we've seen before. Yeah, no, agreed. Um it's 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 funny that we're talking about resurrection of the Daleks and then we we say uh that Dalek, you know, Eccleston's Dalek was, you know, kind of in, in some ways it is kind of the perfection of this idea or the um you know the the kind of um fuller extension uh one of the things we're going to keep running into especially now that sayward is the uh, script editor is that uh the show does get darker and um particularly once we get to the sixth doctor i mean there is this kind of attempt to do this uh very dark very um mysterious very alien doctor um in a way that really only gets done properly once you get to the twelfth doctor honestly um the, the idea of kind of doing a more a darker more interesting doctor um it's it's kind of undoubtedly true that the the classic series just couldn't balance the tone of trying to uh have this slightly darker central figure while at the same time trying to keep it you know appropriate for you know family uh-huh. audiences at tea time sort of thing so um it is it is kind of this weird tonal thing that Sayward is trying to do and uh I think that that's i mean besides the overstuffness of the plot that's another thing that kind of falls flat here is like you never really believe, or I don't really believe that Davison's going to shoot Davros. I just, I just yeah. don't buy it. You know, although they, um, they do try to, they do try to uh, trick you with some foreshadowing or uh, uh, sort of, uh, uh, sort of pseudo foreshadowing, I guess, where where they have the, um, where they have him shoot the Caleb mutant that comes out of that one uh, Dalek that they push out the window or whatever. Yeah, and he actually does shoot that one, but uh, yeah, no, he does uh, after after almost shooting a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, they are, they are trying to, uh, to do that. And it's not, it's not based on the performance. I think Davison's performance is, I mean, as much as we kind of, as he kind of gets blamed for being bland, I think Davison is a brilliant performer. I think he's, he's great as the doctor. But they are counting um, on him having the ability to portray, again, a lot of interiority without giving him grounds to, like, release that in some way. Um, you know, how do you get to really know an introvert? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's right. not when they're around people. <laughs> um, it, it, I, and again, I, I think back to hearing Davison talk again about his own performance of this character. There just seems to be, I think Davison does a good job. I think the writing is just flat. And I yeah. think there isn't just a clear understanding of who this doctor is. He he just doesn't, and I think that that's why people kind of think he's bland. And I don't I don't think he's bland. I think he's he is the most troubled doctor that I think we I've seen 
just with the sheer fact of him being a doctor. I mean, you see them stealing his memories or whatever the fuck they're doing. Um, <laughs> I was going to talk about that. Yeah. So. Like, you know, you got to do a clip show where you go through all his previous faces. Well, and in the previous, in, in Earthshock, remember, there, there's a little bit of a clip show of, like, you see the, uh, the every time that the Doctor has seen the Cybermen sort of thing. So, I mean, this is kind of a sayward trope a little bit. Yeah. Um, and if that was going to be the trope, and if that was going to be the driving thing of this character, this is the Doctor that really thinks, like, five different people at the same time or whatever, um, that could have been really interesting. Um, but instead you get these moments where he just gets to uh, be tortured and there's all this implication of what is torturing him. Mm. Uh, he, but it's just not the air. Because I don't think, like, he's definitely internalizing a lot of stuff and he's going through a lot of stuff. And I think an, another sort of... Uh, where this sort of idea is more realized in the in the sort of uh, the reboot series um, is again with uh, Eccleston. Uh, he actually gets to finally sort of break down and emote all the stuff that's been going on in in his uh, previous incarnations' minds. Uh, you know the the late period classic Doctors. He finally gets to essentially you know spill it all out, uh, kind of almost emo Doctor, I guess in a way. Um, but yeah, so. I guess it just sort of falls down to the writing with this stuff because Davison's performance is fine. Um, once you once you start paying attention to him, he's actually acquitting himself very well. It's just you know it's a thankless job to have to follow the previous four doctors. I do think that that is a big part of it. You have the previous four being so dynamically different to get to him. Um, I mean, even starting with his outfit, yeah. I, I I just feel like they did not or have not, to what I have seen, really quite got this doctor. Um, and and it, for me, it is in the writing, because I feel the same way about Matt Smith. Um, I think Matt Smith has some really wonderful moments, some great performance moments. He gets some great little speeches, but a lot of it ends up coming off temper tantrum-y for me. Um, in the same way that this doctor is very interior, that doctor gets like, childish very often um in a way that i just am like this is just filler why why are we seeing him throw a little breakdown yeah i'm down with that um actually we're going to be talking about the 11th doctor next week so uh <laughs> look forward to that everybody <laughs> yeah i'm i'm kind of uh probably one other note that i have is just that there are actually people of color in this cast oh which, yeah uh, was uh you know, and, it, and, it, and it's like completely unforced, you know, I mean, you know, it's almost uh, it's almost like, wow, really, really positive thing that the production did. And almost not um, even noted upon, really. Yeah, they no, no, they, 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 they start off the episode with the uh, crew on the prison ship station, whatever the hell it is they're, they're doing there. And it's like, OK, two black guys, a woman in a senior position. It only took to what, 50, 39 or whatever it is for, for this to happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, then they they all get unceremoniously killed yeah. at the end of part. Yep. You know, so yay, the Daleks killed them. Uh, or no, that was was that the Daleks? Uh, it was it was the uh, Dalek uh, foot, the Dalek foot soldiers or whatever. Yeah, 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 with their stupid dick helmets. <laughs> yeah, what do we think of those helmets? I was gonna mention yeah, that. Oh, stupid. 
Yeah, uh, apparently even John Nathan Turner hated those, but they didn't have time to uh, 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 change them before the uh, shooting. Like, production just didn't have time to, to fix I it. I just so, don't uh, understand any time, ever. Why does the Dalek need a human to still look like a human or be a human at all? Like, the Dalek should hypothetically want to exterminate all the humans. So, like, the idea of humans working with Daleks already is kind of weird for me, but, like, Stephen Moffat, these helmets, like, you know, you stick an eye stalk in the middle of your forehead that doesn't look great. And it's a warning for whenever they're turning a corner because they're already sticking out three feet from their head. And it's like, there's even a scene where a whole group of them run around a corner and the station crew just picks them off with ease, you know? Uh, I was just like, wow. But I, it is, it is implied that the Daleks have used like mercenaries in the past, right? So it seems like the Daleks in this are in dire straits, I guess. So they're sort of relying on mercenaries to a certain degree. True. The, the kind of, the, the, the relationship between the Daleks and their kind of human allies or human slaves or whatever is actually kind of an interesting topic. Um, because this dates back at least to the, uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth where you literally have the Daleks, uh, kind of, uh, have humans in like forced labor camps and you know so there is this kind of like almost uh you know sonder commando kind of uh uh stuff going on um here i think that it is interesting to see that the daleks are uh, as you said lee they're they're um they're weakened they need humans they need uh helpers because they don't really have the ability to to uh really exert the the kind of force they normally would and so uh i do kind of like the idea that they're uh that they're kind of working with humans for now. You know, you will be the last to be exterminated, yeah. essentially. It's kind of the idea I get. Um, and the, you know, the, the kind of the psychology of the humans who would who would actually do this, um, and then the, the, the kind of cloning stuff, uh, which, you know, is, is completely a sideline to some degree. Dumb. That's my biggest um, problem with the plot, it, is the cloning stuff. I, it's... It, I mean, even though it gives you the, the kind of the nice uh, sequences of the doctor, you know, kind of uh, talking to Stein, mm-hmm. uh, whose character we haven't really talked about, and the, the kind of that kind of the kill gravy aspects of this. Stein um, the stutterer? Stein the stutterer, yes. Um, you know, there, there is some nice stuff there, but it just feels like it's uh, kind of lifted from another story to some yeah. degree. Um, um, that was uh, Rodney Bowles played uh, Stein, um, and uh, I, I thought it was a, a pretty good performance, really. I mean, even though it's a little bit broad, but I think it's uh, I, I really got his humanity um, in an interesting way, and I, I really like the the way he interacted with Davison. Well, um, and the fact that he does have a stutter I, it's it's an interesting character choice. It is it ends up being part of you know how we kind of get to know him. I thought that that was interesting in a inoffensive way to people that stutter, you know. <laughs> so that's a positive. Uh, but I also thought again like why aren't we spending more time with this guy and the doctor because they're having more interesting conversations yeah where the doctor you know muses to himself oh i wonder i wonder what the real stein was like what happened to him you know Mm -hmm. because these are all clones uh and this is my biggest as i mentioned this is my biggest problem with this is that if the daleks are this great at their sort of genetic uh tampering and engineering and all that Mm -hmm. and they can make these perfect clones and put them in positions of power on earth why would they have to condition their minds? Could they not just program their brains from the beginning and put them in? Because it's implied that you can fight, if you're a clone, you can fight the Dalek programming and just be a regular human or whatever. That is That seems like a stupid oversight by the Daleks from the very beginning. It's just a 
kind of a plot contrivance and convenience really to to do the turn and, and get to the end of the thing. It would have been much better if these were actual humans that were brainwashed by the Daleks and then fighting their uh, fighting their programming. You know, sort of a Manchurian candidate kind of thing going on. Yeah. But but when but when it we didn't see that at all in the third Doctor era as well. <laughs> but when it's but when it's <clears throat> implied that these are genetic creations by the Daleks, then it's just it doesn't make any sense to me that the they would ever have a chance of rebelling against the Daleks at all. They would be just doing what they were programmed to do. So mm-hmm. uh, I didn't like that. That kind of ruined the story well, for me to this... a degree. There's this weird kind of biological essentialism that happens when you start talking about the Daleks and in the way that the Daleks are written and the people around them are written, mm-hmm. where the Daleks are kind of portrayed as being this such an evil, like malevolent, malignant cancer kind of thing that any kind of organic life that isn't Dalek will just automatically like oppose them mm-hmm. regardless, you know? And, uh, you know, there's also like machines, you know, there, there's this, uh, you know, definitely anti-computer, anti-artificial uh, intelligence kind of bias towards so much of the uh, the history of Doctor Who, the sphere of technology and the, the Daleks are, uh, you know, they are biological organisms, but they're kind of treated oftentimes as a, sort of these tin pot machines. In fact, uh, Destiny of the Daleks, they actually are just machines. They're not, uh, you know, they're, they're not biological organisms at all anymore. Mm-hmm. So this is actually a change from that. Um, but I, I think that, you know, one of the things you run into is when you see like, oh, well, there's this human factor that's just going to automatically be repulsed by working with the Daleks. And so that's and that that's kind of where this comes from, Lee, I uh, think, um, which I think is uh, I mean, it's interesting, but it, it is a little it, it's fool- it feels naive. You know? It's, fool- Sorry, it's foolish ahead. to basically set up the Nazi race in metal form and then to say, oh, but don't worry some part of you will recognize that these are monsters. And and that that's, you know, that's what makes a great villain, right? Is that we don't think of them as monsters. We think of them as something that could happen. And this makes, this is much more like monster Dalek. Well, in the early appearances, the Daleks are, are definitely much more characters, you know? Yeah. You kind of get them as, as kind of, I don't want to say as people, but you, you get them as kind of beings with agency. They make decisions, they kind of do different stuff. Um, by the 80s, the Daleks are basically just foot soldiers that, you know, and that's really why you bring in Davros, because Davros gives you the the personality, you know, he kind of gives you the ability to kind of have a a uh, a speaking viewpoint character who's kind of making decisions, and then you just let the Daleks be, you know, kind of these tin pot rolling around yeah. evil personification foot soldiers, which I think is not the way to treat the Daleks, honestly. I think it, they're bad Daleks. It's sort of the... Uh, um, I almost, you know, it's, it's, it's weird how much like we keep wanting to just rewrite this. And it's almost like there's so much, there's so much good stuff here, but it's all crammed together. And like, you could make like four better stories yeah. out of this. If you just yeah. like, okay, take the Daleks out, take Davros out and just have the other stuff in it. Okay. Now do the version with just Daleks without Davros. Now do the version that's just got Davros without the Daleks. Yeah. Um, which is what I almost said. Like, what if Davros appeared and the Daleks were not around? Like that would be an interesting mm-hmm. story. Um, I kind of like Davros as a kind of mind controlling people, yeah. the, the biochemist, the, uh, yeah. you know, which feels very, uh, Delgado mastery. Sorry. Just keep bringing back <laughs> well, the third but At least it makes a little bit, it's more mad sciencey. It's more, it makes more sense than Davros and the Daleks. If Davros got to have his own life without the Daleks, he would make more sense as a character to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's actually an audio which we might do eventually called I Davros, which is like about the the rise of Davros as a, as a character, I think. And uh, we might uh, I've been thinking about branching out into Big Finish at some point, and that's one that's on my short list to to listen to and maybe do on the show. So, um, audience, let me know if you want to listen to us talk about that at some point. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know, Lee. What do you think uh, about about uh, seeing Davros by himself? I like that idea honestly because. Part of his biggest character flaw, and, and it's something that keeps coming back every time he comes back, is he's got this hard on for get, gaining control again of of the Daleks, and the Daleks have outgrown him and are only using him if they're you know if they have some sort of need for him, but otherwise they want to exterminate him in the end. And it seems like they regurgitate that plot over and over again as well. Um, I guess I, I guess the point is that he's a he's a psychotic megalomaniac who. Uh, who's always looking for revenge and always uh always trying to dominate and yeah it would be interesting to see him taking out of that element and just put in to another element like maybe him being stranded on earth and mind controlling humans and stuff like that and setting up his new army that's not daleks you know but uh it it always goes back to square one with davros where he wants to make a perfect genetic race and send it out on mm-hmm. everybody else so I think it would be really interesting to come at this. I mean, if they were to, because, you know, comics do this all the time very well. You know, there, there is always a new megalomaniac, evil man, um, <laughs> who has his own backstory and blah, blah, blah. Like, it doesn't need to be the same person every time necessarily, but there is this idea of the villain's backstory is important. Why they don't like the Doctor is important. Um, and sometimes, especially with the Daleks and the Cybermen, I think that it's like, oh, well, we don't really have to touch on all of that because we've seen it so much before. So then we end up seeing that action that we've seen before that's based on the story we've already heard before, and it doesn't necessarily feel new. And I, th- I think that kind of is my my big problem. Um, I'm having it more and more with Moffat era, um, and I know I'm a Moffat hater, I'm sorry guys, whatever, but, like, what's the difference between the Daleks and the Cybermen right now? Not much. Yeah. Not, not at this point. One's moment. got legs. One's got legs. Right? Yeah. Uh, the Cybermen have got legs, and they know how to use them. <laughs> <Got> legs! Um... <laughs> It is the 80s, so, you know, yeah. worth uh, worth doing the shaving. Uh, what are, those are nylons? Is that it? Whatever. <laughs> Cut that out. My apologies. Don't leave it. Leave it. Leave it all. <laughs> all right. I think we're wrapping up here. Uh, one interesting thing is that uh, we spent an hour talking about Resurrection of the Daleks and uh, really only mentioned Turlo once or twice. Mm, well, he doesn't do much. He, he really doesn't. I think um, they forgot we are about get... him. I think that they wrote Turlo <laughs> in and then they just kind of forgot to write him out. Yeah, let's just stick him on yep. the Dalek ship running around corridors all all episode, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's cute, though. Um, <laughs> he is cute. Um, it, at least it's better than uh, Nissa got treated in some of the early Fifth Doctor stories, where it's like, oh, Nissa has a headache, and so she stays in the TARDIS for the episode. She doesn't even appear. It's just like, oh, Nissa has a headache. Um, this should have been Trillo. You know, Trillo's Trillo's off in the bathroom. He he got he had bad diarrhea or something. You know, he's he's not in this Good story. Good morning. But, uh, 
Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was Resurrection of the Daleks. Any final thoughts about any of this uh, from anybody? Um, I just want to mention one thing, and I'm kind of hoping this becomes the uh, title for the episode. Uh, Dalek, Dalek okay. Bukaki, where, where they... <laughs> Where, yes. they, uh, where the uh, virus is released and they just basically start exploding this white goo from their sides and all over each other. Yeah. That was, that was quite the visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of messy messy Dalek porn. Yeah, yeah that's uh, I, I like that. I like Dalek Dalek Bukaki. I'm sure that's uh, I'm sure there's uh, don't Google that kid. <laughs> Maybe do that. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts, Hold Shane? On. It is it is entirely safe to Google uh, Dalek Bukaki. Oddly okay. enough, there are more um, ponies than I thought I would see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a thing now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is a thing. You know, I I think that if I had watched this episode when it came out, I may have different opinions about it. This came out the year you were born. You know what I mean. Like, I Instant <laughs> would have been like, ma? Uh, but if I had, it, it's hard to see some of these and not just look at it and say, okay, so this was one of those episodes that you just kind of watched because it felt fun. And then, you know, Tegan leaves at the end. Everybody probably knew Tegan was leaving and it's all building up to that. And, you know, honestly, at the end of this story, I think the one benefit of having a story that just kind of doesn't do much is that when Tegan at the end is like, I am done. I have had enough. This is the same shit over and over. <laughs> like, there's no question at what she's talking about. It's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that there's some extra poignancy for me just because this is uh, Tegan was around for three years, actually. Um, and uh Davison's only ran for two more stories, so so that's uh, you know just another little thing that's happening. We're about to say goodbye to Davison as well. What I what I find really poignant is that uh, Janet Fielding had a really bad relationship with John Nathan Turner, the the producer, um, and uh, she was always trying to get more for her character to do, trying to get more uh, dynamic and and more feminist and that sort of thing. And John Nathan Turner's like, you're just there for the dads to look at. And so he puts her in a, you know, a mini, a black leather mm-hmm. miniskirt, high heels, uh, you know, for an episode. And, and you definitely kind of feel that, I think, in, in some of these later stories with Tegan, where it just feels like she, Janet Fielding just got tired of fighting with the uh, production team. To some well, degree. Um, I, I, but I think that that, <clears throat> you know, it makes a lot more sense that you know, Tegan being so dynamic is actually a result of the fact that she and, you know, her quote-unquote doctor, her her in-charge guy didn't get along. So, I mean, it, it's probably very mirrored in the episodes, all the stuff that I'm thinking of, like, oh, this great development of her character uh, might be real-life shit happening to her. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely a mirroring of the of the real life behind the scenes stuff going on, and some of the way Tegan is treated, which I I just wanted to highlight that fact. Um, any thoughts on that, Lee? Uh no, but uh, I guess it, it makes total sense that if that's the case, if she drew from real life to uh, better her performance, and also just doing it to uh, you know try to be satisfied that she was doing justice to the character, not just being a uh, mannequin with uh, very little clothing on for everyone to look at, right? So, uh, good honor. 
Yeah, it, it is, uh, again, kind of that, um, you know, this is probably the least clothing she wears in, uh, in her time in Doctor Who, which, uh, goes, just goes back to Terminus when Nissa left, you know, they, they had her take off her clothes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in the next Peter Davison episode, we'll, we'll see if that happens with, uh, Turlo, because, uh, Turlo's gonna leave in the very next Davison. No, they gotta so, make out. <laughs> All right, I think we're done here. Um, thank you, Lee, so much for uh, being on the show. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about They Must Be Destroyed on Sight? Yes, uh, Daniel is my intrepid co-host on uh, They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, along with our friend Paul, and uh, we review movies, and we don't really focus on anything too much. Uh, we, we move from genre to genre all the time. Right now we're going to be looking at uh, noir films for the next uh in, indetermined period at this point, but uh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, the I think either whenever this comes out, the our latest episode will be uh, Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye from 1973. So um, yeah, please check it out. Yep, awesome. No, that that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty good, decent show. I've I've heard an episode or two of that. Um, it's not. It's, no, not it's got this guy who always interrupts everybody else, but I'm, other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah, there's some there's some bearded asshole who just talks <laughs> too much on that show. But, um, and you can totally um, hear the beard just on the way he talks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, next week, uh, we're actually going to have another special guest, and we're going to be doing an 11th Doctor story. We're going to be doing um, the uh, Pandorica Opens and the Big Bang, and we have a Moffat fan, an 11th Doctor fan, who's going to be on to uh, talk about that with us. Um, and then uh, after that, it'll be uh, Planet of Fire, Turlo's last episode. So um, look forward to all that. And until next week, the TARDIS is closed. Our theme music is Doctor Who Theme on Minimoog by James Bragg. Find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash hyperdust7 and his website at phoenix-flare.com. Daniel is also a regular host of the They Must Be Destroyed on Site movie podcast, which you can find at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all Oyce Spaceman episodes on iTunes or at our website oyspaceman.libsyn.com and our podcast blog is at oyspaceman.wordpress.com. You can email us at oyspacemanpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com and you can find our individual Twitter accounts at Daniel Lee Harper and Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. Comments and questions, welcome.